how you doing, Ignite City? Hey, welcome to this episode of our podcast for our church community. Uh, today, uh, we're looking at the topic of courage. Um, just when I was going through 2 Samuel 7 uh, yesterday, this is what stood out. It, it's a couple things that stood out to me, but especially on the topic of courage. Um, yesterday, I also came aqu- across this quote that fear, uh, it, said, it said this, fear is a reaction while courage is a decision. Fear is a reaction, courage is a decision, and I agree with this. See, I can't keep myself from experiencing fear. Fear is this natural response that the body experiences when we face something that's scary. Uh, I, and so a lot of times I feel like, I'll just say personally, that anytime fear fear jumps in, I automatically go to this place of guilt um, because I shouldn't be fearful if I have faith. I shouldn't have any kind of fear if I have faith, and yet... I don't know that that's true. It's not like having fear or being afraid of something is a sin. And if, because if that's the case, then the fact that Jesus was so terrified in the garden uh, the night before he was going to be arrested and then handed over to be crucified, friends, he was terrified in the garden. He was so afraid in the garden that he experienced something called hematidrosis, which is the body's reaction. Uh, where your the, the the capillaries in your forehead can burst and you'll sweat drops of blood. All of that a result of being so afraid of something. And so if fear is automatically a sin, then Jesus has sinned. And if Jesus has sinned, then there's no way for us to be made right with God because he's not the perfect sacrifice. So ultimately, fear is not this automatic, uh, it's not automatically sin. And yet, we have a choice to make uh, and we have a decision to make when we experience fear. And so we, have a, we can either live in fear and be crippled by it, or we can, we can be courageous and bold and move past it. Even though I, I can still make decisions that are courageous and still have fear grabbing onto my legs, like trying to trip me up. It can just, and it can still be part of me. Um, but I can make the decision that I'm not going to be held back by fear. And so a lot of times, if we're as followers of Jesus, uh, we say, okay, I want, to, I, want cura- I want courage in order to do great things for God. Like, I'm going to go out and do these massive things for God. But what, if, what about just simply needing courage to simply pray to God? He said, like, I, don't need, I, don't need, I don't need courage for that. Really? I think when all of a sudden we joke, and, and don't get me wrong, I believe in this, this super intimate relationship with God where he is Father. The word father in the, in the Aramaic would be Abba, which is Papa or Dada. It's this it's super intimate uh, title for God. But I think sometimes we forget who it is that we're speaking to also. Yes, he is Abba, but he's holy. And this, this concept or this idea that I can come before that holy God anytime I want and to pray, it's not to simply pray, it's to pray. I get to pray to him, but w- so why would I need courage? Well, I think we're going to look at, I think, I think something will pop out, hopefully. Uh, the thing that popped out to me as I looked at, hopefully it's an encouragement to you as we go forward. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11 through 3, in chapter 7, remember chapter 7, the beginning of it, David's looking where he lives. He lives in this palace. He sees that the, that the Ark of God, which is the representation of the, of the presence of God, that God, quote unquote, is residing in a tent and has lived in that tent for hundreds of years uh, before now, uh, moving among his people, wherever God led him, God went with them. And so 
Um, David says, I want to build this house for him. Uh, Nathan, the prophet says, just do whatever you want uh, because the Lord is with you. And then that night, God comes and speaks to Nathan saying, I need you to actually go back and tell David this. And I, I, I see Nathan as kind of overstepping his, uh, his, his boundaries there. He should have asked the Lord first, what should, what should I tell him? Um, and I'm, and, but friends, I'm just as guilty. In fact, a couple days ago, I was when on, in our Bible reading plan, I was so convicted by how often David quote unquote inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord about all these small little details. And I thought, I don't do that. That's not my natural response. A lot of times uh, I'll, something comes up and I'll just make the decision and then I'll ask God to bless the decision rather than starting with God and saying, do you even want me to do this? And so we come to second Samuel chapter seven, starting verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Remember, David wanted to make a house for God. God comes back and says, no, no, no. I think it's more important that you know that I'm going to make you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, I think at first, uh, at first glance, we can look and say, well, see, uh, Solomon's going to come along and, um, and God's going to establish his kingdom. And there's going to be part of that, yes. But I think the ultimate fulfillment of what it is that God is saying is Jesus. Like when you look at it, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled, you will die. And then I'll raise up your offspring after you, that Jesus is in the lineage of David, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And how long will this kingdom last? Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, friends, if it's only about Solomon and it's about the people of Israel and the kings coming in, uh, coming after David, if it's just these earthly kings that we know that um, Israel goes into exile hundreds of years later, but goes into exile because of their disobedience uh, and rebellion against God. So it can't just be that. Uh, And then you'll get to verse 14 where it actually says, I'll be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll discipline him with the rod. And we know that that's not Jesus, but he's going to be speaking of the kings, king or kings, the, the earthly king or kings coming after. But I think verse 13 is the fulfillment of saying, hey, Jesus is coming. Now, he doesn't say Jesus is coming, but I believe that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that covenant that God is making with David. And so David hears this covenant that God makes with him and begins his prayer of thanksgiving to God in chapter 7, starting verse 18. But we're especially going to look at verses 25 to 29. And here's what it says. It says, and this is David praying in thanksgiving to God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the Lord, I'm sorry, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, or Lord of armies, the the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O, O Lord God, you are God, your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless this house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Friends, when you see this, you notice how often David refers to like the Lord of hosts. He at least says at least twice. Uh, he talks about the Lord God, that you are my God. He talks about his words are true, but he's remi- it's almost like he's reminding himself, okay, you're the Lord. You're the Lord of the angel armies. Like you are God over Israel. It's like this, there's, there's, 
He's, it's this reminder and this declaration of, of who God is. And then he makes this statement, you, you have made this revelation. And then he says, therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Friends, I'm convinced that in order for us to pray prayers that are honoring to God, to pray in a way that's honoring and worthy of who God is, we need God's revelation of who he is because when we understand who he is, we have this understanding, this grasp of the greatness and magnitude of God, then what he says is heavier. I mean, it's heavier. We hold on to that as this thing that is this foundational, uh, this foundational promise of God because we know who God is and therefore we can trust what it is that he says. See, I, I, have, this, I have these few questions. First, how often do I limit how I pray based on me misunderstanding who God is? And so if I don't, if I don't recognize that God is almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, gracious, loving, forgiving, that he has wrath, that he's just, he's holy and separate and separated and yet intricately involved in our lives. Like he walks among us. He's in us. Followers of Jesus, he's in us. If I don't take the full revelation of who God says that he is, then I won't pray based upon who God is. I'll start praying based upon only my my misconceptions or my misunderstanding of who, of who he is. Also, how often do I limit how I pray based on my fears? Not knowing what's going to happen. My fears, remember I have a decision to make when I'm afraid, but I, therefore I should want courage. But if I don't see God as massive, that's not based upon God's revelation of who he is or what it is that he says he's going to do, but it's only based upon my fears. It's my misunderstanding of who he is and my fears become greater than God, then I will pray based upon my fears in a very limited way. Also, how often do I limit how I pray based on my lack of an eternal perspective of God, of what God may be up to? So if I don't understand, if I don't, if I don't sit there and pause and go and ask God, reveal to me anything that you might be doing, whether it's now or 22 years from now or hundreds of years from now, we should be wanting to pray not just based upon our limited perspective and our little and our limited lifespan, but we want to pray in a way that's based upon the the eternal perspective and the limitless ways of God. And so when I see David say, uh, when he says here in verse 27, for you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. And he's going back to what we looked at in verses 11 to 13. Because, because you, God, have made this revelation to your servant, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. The whole prayer of thanksgiving but then you see his request that it's pretty much, would you just fulfill your promise? But isn't it amazing that from God revealing what it is that he was going to do to David, David reminding himself of who it is that God is, because of God's revelation, David found courage to pray in a manner that was worthy of God. Friends, we should be desiring God's revelation no matter what. I wrote this down as an application point for myself, that God's revelation is what gives me courage to pray according to who God is rather than according to who I am. And I might even add on to that, rather than according to who I am or what I'm facing. Friends, may we be encouraged by this, but may our first prayer be this every day. God, I pray that you reveal more of who you are in order that I would pray according to who you are with the courage that comes with believing without doubt, but believing, God, you are mighty and holy and massive and going through all the characteristics of who God is. 
May we pray for God to reveal more of who he is, therefore receiving courage to pray according to who God is rather than who we are, our limitlessness, our our limited perspectives, our fears. May we never pray according to those things. May we pray according to who God claims and says that he is, who God reveals himself to be. Friends, I hope this is an encouragement and a challenge to you. Love you guys more than you know. We'll talk soon.